embracing the things that make you who you are and that make you interested in the things you are interested in, that's breaking the mold. The biggest thing is don't feel a ton of pressure to figure out the perfect thing. You don't know at 18 what you're gonna be like at 22, let alone what you're gonna wanna be doing. You know, we already talked about the importance of like getting experience, really just get a job. You know, it doesn't matter where you're working or what you're doing, but work somewhere. And then just pursue the things that are interesting to you. Worry far less about what other people say you should do and far more about what is legitimately interesting and exciting to you. Constantly push and challenge yourself to get better, but also trust the process and be patient and give it time and don't expect to have all of the answers because you don't need them. Welcome to Thriving United. If you're an innovator, an entrepreneur, or someone who relentlessly pursues success, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, discussing how to grind, grow, and succeed as an entrepreneur. You only have one life, so live it. I invite you to build something bigger than yourself, to create value and change the lives of others, to ultimately change the world. With that said, let's thrive. What is up, Thrivers? I'm your host, Gregory Alexander, and today I'm speaking with a writer, educator, career coach, startup employee, podcaster, and perpetual learner, or simply Hannah Frankman. Hannah currently works at Praxis, a startup apprenticeship program where she coaches young professionals through the process of bypassing college and launching their careers in the business world. Specifically, she is the community manager and apprenticeship advisor. Her position has allowed her to coach over 150 people into launching their careers thus far, and that number is only growing. Beyond her role at Praxis, she is working as the Charleston chapter manager for NextGen, building an entrepreneurial community from the ground up. Additionally, Hannah is a believer in continuous self-growth by constantly learning by doing. This is shown in her love for writing as well as podcast creation. Hannah breaks the mold in every way she can. And for that reason, it is my honor to welcome her to the show today. Hannah, welcome to Thriving United. How are you doing today? I am doing well. I don't know what else I have to add to this podcast episode. You gave me such a great intro. I feel like we've already <laughs> covered all the bases. Thank you. <laughs> right. So, well, if there is anything I missed, um, you can tell us that. But ultimately, I just want you to update us. Where are you currently on your journey in the most up-to-date form? That is a great question. Um, so right now, as you already mentioned, I'm the community manager and the apprenticeship advisor here at Praxis. I've been at Praxis for about two and a half years now. I started out as our application review intern, um, and now I'm working really heavily on the education team, doing a lot of coaching, a lot of advising, a lot of curriculum development. Um, does that answer your question, or are there more specific areas that I should we dig will into. Definitely, I don't even know we'll where to definitely, start. <laughs> we'll definitely dig deeper into it as we go along. But I want you to just cover basically the pivotal choices or opportunities that you had that allowed you to get the position that you have at Praxis today. And that can be as loaded as you want it to be. That is such a great question. Um, it's honestly a really interesting story because I feel like a lot of the things in my life led up to me working this exact job that I'm working right now. Um, I feel like a lot of the experiences that I had growing up in high school, early on after high school, were perfect training for this. And I didn't even know it because I didn't know this role existed. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't even a possibility in my mind. So it's hard to discern which choices have been the most important and the most valuable in this process. Um, I think, you know, Obviously, my decision to not go to college played a really pivotal role in everything that I've done over the past four years since I graduated high school. Um, mm. The you know decision not to go to college sparked my desire to work in the alternative education space. Um, you know, I said, "All right, well, I'm not. I want to figure out what it takes to be successful without a college degree." And I want to do that by working with lots and lots of other people who are following a sim similar path and on a similar journey. And I want to work with them and coach them too and see what works and what doesn't. Um, so that definitely played a really pivotal role. Um, that's one of the big decisions that I would point to. I also, you know, have always very deeply valued perpetual learning um, and learning as both a habit and a lifestyle and that's something that I very intentionally continue to cultivate. And that's also played a pretty important role 
in my journey over the past few years, going from, you know, homeschooler through high school, homeschool graduate, college opt out, um, to now, you know, working as a full-time career coach and startup employee. I love it. So I guess I want to get a little more specific here because you've touched on it briefly in that answer. Um, how does the mission of Praxis resonate with your personal goals? That's another great question. Um, Praxis is all about our motto is helping people do and discover what makes them come alive. Um, more specifically, Praxis is about, you know, our mission is to help young people start their careers. And on a more philosophical level, our mission is to help young people obtain agency in their lives and realize, hey, I can do whatever I want. I can build whatever I want. Um, I have the power to create the life that I want to live. There's a really great quote from Steve Jobs. I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing, so I'm going to butcher it just a little bit. But basically he said, everything that you see in the world around you, someone who is just like a mere human, no different than yourself, created. Um, basically all of reality is a human construct. All of these systems that we think we have to follow just because they are the way that they are, people built those and people are always changing them. And you have agency to be an active player in building the world around you, both the world that you specifically are living and also the broader world within, within which you are living. Um, and the mission of Praxis is to kind of help people see the agency that they have in that process and helping them to build the hard and the soft skills they need to act on that understanding to say, oh, I see... I see this specific type of life that I want to live and here are all the things that I know how to do to make that happen. Right. You said helping uh, people. And I, as a coach, I want to know probably what is the biggest failure that you've had so far while doing this and working at Praxis? The biggest failure that I've had? Oh my goodness. That's such a hard question to answer. Um, I mean... It's hard to quantify what is a failure versus what is a success because coaching is a very subjective thing. It's hard to quantify and measure. And as someone who works as a full-time coach, I'm always trying to figure out systems and formulas to quantify and measure. Um, but that can be a challenging thing to do because it's subjective. We're talking about human experience. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, honestly, every time that you – don't clearly communicate to someone what kind of giving them agency in their own process. Um, I would say that that classifies as a failure. I think one of the easiest places and I'm going to, this is more of a kind of meta answer than you're probably looking for. Um, but I think, I think it's worth expounding upon because it's a really important mindset to have as a coach. Um, your job as a coach is to make yourself irrelevant. Your job is to hand all of your agency over to the person you're coaching. You're not there to solve someone else's problem because then they still need you. Um, mm -hmm. And you don't want someone to need you anymore. You want to teach them to solve their own problems. So as, as a coach, anytime that you don't succeed in handing that agency over anytime that someone walks away from not necessarily the first interaction with you, but repeated interactions with you, feeling like they still need you, like you're the one responsible for solving their problems. Um, I'd say that classifies as a failure because you haven't kind of gotten to the root of the issue, which is the fact that everyone has agency in their own problem solving process. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So how do you go about growing uh, away from that pitfall growing away from the pitfall of having uh, of, of, if not a lot like not allowing them to do uh what they're supposed to do in terms of just uh controlling their actions or like you're not really being a coach at that point you're just doing everything for them how do you stay away from that that's it's an interesting thing to learn how to do as a coach um you know growing up homeschooled, my mom always described herself as a facilitator, not a teacher. Um, and it took me a long time to understand the distinction, but I think that's been a really important part of my own development as an educator and a coach and a facilitator myself. Um, the distinction, which is, you know, when someone comes into an interaction, 
with some sort of mentorship figure, be that a teacher or a coach. And it's a voluntary interaction. So it's not like, okay, you're in school. Someone said you have to take this class. So you're taking this class and your only objective is to get a passing grade and not have to take the class anymore. Um, as long as it's a voluntary interaction where you actually want something, um, you come into the session with an objective. And sometimes that objective is really vague. It could be as simple as just hoping to gain some clarity in terms of what you want and what you don't want. Um, sometimes it's very specific. It's like, hey, in, you know, in the context of Praxis, I want to land a job as an entry-level marketer as a startup, or I want to start my own side project on top of what I'm doing for Praxis, doing freelance marketing or freelance data entry or something like that. Um, and you know, that, that objective is driven by the person who comes into the call wanting something or comes into the meeting wanting something. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, you know, your job is to facilitate their own problem solving process of saying, okay, what is the, what is the result that you want? Um, what do the steps of obtaining that result look like? Where are you now? And what's the difference between the result that you want and where you're actually at. What are the things that are missing and how do we go about obtaining those things to make that happen? Um, mm -hmm. So you ask a lot of questions. Um, you engage in a lot of conversation and you allow the process to be driven by the expressed goals and desires by the other party. You're adding your own insight and your own perspective. Part of why mm -hmm. someone is valuable as a coach is because they've experienced a lot of things that the person being coached hasn't experienced and they can lend a lot of insight and perspective in, in the conversation um, of like, oh, well, have you considered, have you ever been in a situation like this before? And, you know, I've been in this situation a couple of times and here's how people tend to react to something like that. And maybe you'd like to phrase this in a different way, perspective like that. Um, but in general, allowing the person who came into that interaction wanting a specific outcome giving them the space to drive that process. Mm -hmm. Self-directed. I love it. Exactly. So outside of your role of Praxis, um, you have many other things that you like, you enjoy doing. Um, one of those yes. is writing. writing. Um, what prompted you to begin writing or have you always just written? <laughs> I've always been a compulsive writer. Um, I wrote my first quote unquote book when I was, I think, four. Um, it was a history wow. of the world. It was very minimal. Um, and I remember thinking it was such a long book and then the whole thing was phonetically spelled because see above, I was four. Um, mm -hmm. and my mom transcribed it basically and wrote it all out. And I remember being so horrified and a little offended that it only filled one sheet of paper because I thought it was a chapter book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just as long as I've always been a storyteller. So as a kid, I would always tell stories. Um, and I'd start writing them down as soon as I started learning how to write long before I learned how to spell. And it's just something that I've always I've always done as partly because I find it to be an engaging pastime and partly because it's just the way my brain works. Um, it always reverts back to the stories. So, yeah, I think I realized when I was like 12 or 13 that writing was different from a lot of the other things that I do. Um, or that I did as a kid rather, because, you know, you can play with your Legos as a kid and have that be in your mind an equal pastime to being a writer. But most people don't say, oh, I want to play Legos when I grow up. Whereas writing, I realize could be a vocation too. Um, right. but it's always something that I've done. So this might be harder for me to make the distinction and the way I'm looking for, because you didn't go from like not writing to just writing every day. Um, but in what way have you grown the most from writing? How does that add to you? Wow. Um, that is a hard thing to make a distinction for because it has been mm -hmm. such a pivotal thing always in my life. Although in fluctuations, there have been times in my life where I write far more than other times in my life. Um, I think there are a couple benefits. When you actively write, it changes the way in which you think in a couple of different ways. Um, we have a lot of knowledge that floats around in our heads that is kind of accessible to us, but it's not easily accessible unless something triggers it. What I mean by that is like someone can ask you a question and you think you don't know the answer 
And then you engage that person in conversation and you realize, oh, wait a second, I do have an answer to this question, but I was never forced to think about it and consolidate it and condense it and articulate it before. So I didn't know that I knew this. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely true of writing as well. When you start forcing yourself to condense your ideas and articulate them in the simplest and clearest manner possible, it makes all of the information that you're holding in your head that much more accessible. Um, it also helps you retain knowledge that you're intaking. So if you have an interesting conversation, you listen to an interesting podcast episode, you um, read an interesting article or a book, if you take the time to write down not even like top takeaways per se, but the things that you're thinking about coming out of that interaction with that piece of content, that also um, that also kind of helps your consolidation and your retention of that information. Hmm. So writing makes you smarter. And I don't say that to claim that I am smart, just I am smarter than I would be if I did not write. Right. Um, but it also changes the way, because I'm so partial to fiction, um, it changes the way I kind of experience day-to-day -day reality too, because I'm thinking in terms of metaphors and descriptions and trying to clearly describe things in a way that I probably wouldn't if I wasn't a writer. So yeah, off the top of my head without, you know, take, if I contemplated this for a couple hours and came back, I might give you a different answer, <laughs> but off the top of my head, I love that answer. those are I the biggest agree. ways, <laughs> the biggest ways I feel like writing has shaped me. Mm. Right. No, I completely understand that because I've done a lot of writing recently and I never used to be a big writer, mainly because school kind of um, made it seem like a chore to me. I didn't, it, it made me approach it yes. at the wrong angle. And so I never wrote for me. I wrote for someone else. But when I started writing for me, uh, it really allowed uh, me to consolidate everything I'm learning and clearly lay it out. And it's been a helpful tool for me. So Anyways, uh, I want to go back to school, like I just briefly mentioned. What was your childhood like in terms of school and all the way up to, uh, I know you didn't go to college, uh, up to that point where you decided not to go, why you didn't go, um, what did that look like for you? <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and consolidate the vast majority of my life story into a couple of minutes worth of narrative. So bear with me. Um, <laughs> So I went to a private preschool and kindergarten, but was homeschooled from first grade on. And I don't, I don't know if kindergarten like really counts. So basically I was homeschooled all the way through. Mm -hmm. um, and I was my parents' oldest child. So I was basically a grand experiment. Um, we were just kind of figuring it out as we went and taking it on a year by year basis. Obviously we ended up choosing to homeschool every single year all the way through high school. But there, there were a couple of moments throughout where – we thought about maybe having me go to school or I thought about maybe trying to go to school and I ultimately always decided homeschooling was the best route. And in retrospect, I am so glad that I did because homeschooling has been such a key part of my preparation process really for everything that I've done since and all the things that I want to do. Um, but yeah, in elementary school um, and for context, like I grew up in the countryside on a dirt road um, spent a lot of time outside. Science class half the time would entail just like going for a long walk and bushwhacking through the woods and like hunting for mushrooms and then drawing the different types and identifying them for botany. <laughs> um, so it was a very beautiful childhood, um, very art inspired. If you're familiar with Waldorf school, um, my kind of elementary education was very inspired by that. i you know, write essays on different topics and then draw like colored illustrations to go along with them. Um, I have lots of beautiful lesson books that I created over the course of like those early grade school years. Um, and then slowly things got a little more academic in middle school, but they also became a little more free in terms of I started gaining more agency in the process. So I was always very academically inclined I've always been the type of person that loves books. I love learning. I love formal education. Um, so I was a very easy student to teach, and I was also very naturally curious and inquisitive. So I always had a million things that I wanted to be studying, which made this kind of transitionary process where I had more and more agency in my education pretty easy. Um, so by the time I got to high school, I was pretty much on my own in that 
you know, we had state standards that I needed to be meeting in order to graduate successfully, get a diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents were involved in making sure that I was upholding those standards. And they were involved in the process of making sure that I was, you know, getting access to all the resources that I needed. They were there as a kind of a buffer to make sure I was actually doing the things I was supposed to do, but I was completely in charge of my education. I chose my classes. I chose what resources I was going to be using to study each topic. Um, I mapped out my schedule for the year in terms of benchmarks and what I had to have done by certain points in time. I gave myself my own assignments. Um, My mom and I deliberated together to give me a grade for each class. Um, So I was, it was a very, very, very self-directed process and it was wonderful. I basically spent my high school years going down every academic rabbit trail that struck my fancy. Um, I studied oceanography one year for science. I did an anatomy class and watched, you know, cadaver dissections on YouTube. Like you would, you would, you know, take a class and do cadaver dissections in college. Um, I studied medieval literature and I, you know, read a bunch of old medieval epics and um, sagas and philosophical works. Um, A lot of the poetry from that era Um, my senior year of high school, I studied the great books and I just read as much of the Western canon as I possibly could for my English class. So it was wonderful. And simultaneously over the course of high school, I was also deciding slowly that I didn't want to go to college. So I was, you know, slowly starting to realize that I loved being really self-directed in my education and that that would not be the case in college. I'd have to do two years of prerequisites and that sounded like a step backwards to me. It sounded awful. I didn't want to do that. Mm. Um, And I also, you know, realized that it didn't make any financial sense. I didn't want to waste four years on college. I didn't really have anything specific that I wanted to do that required college. So slowly over the course of the four years of high school, I started to realize that College really didn't make a lot of sense, even though I was set up to be like the perfect candidate to go to school. And it made a lot of sense logically for me to go. Um, And it felt like a really big risk to decide not to go because the whole world told me I was crazy and I'd fully expected my whole life to go to college. Um, But like halfway through my senior year, halfway through my senior year of college, I finally decided, you know what? Or I'm sorry, my senior year of high school, I decided, you know what? I'm... I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to treat it as a grand experiment. I'm going to see if I can be successful without college. We'll see what happens. Um, And once I finally – it was a hard decision to come to, but once I finally made that decision, I just didn't look back um, and haven't looked back since. I've never regretted it for a moment. I've never considered for a moment ever doing anything else. Um, It was a hard choice to make, but it was definitely the right one. So there's two things I want to touch on. One is the world around you. At ha- what was the backlash that you received from making that decision in really specific ways? <laughs> so much, um, so much. So while I was in high school, I was working at a vegetable farm and orchard, and the people that I worked with were all college graduates who had decided they wanted to, you know, go into organic, sustainable farming. Um, And they were all really strong advocates for me getting a college degree, um, which my comeback to that was, well, we're working the same job and I don't have a degree. So why do I need a degree? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, a lot of my extended family is college educated. There was a lot of pushback from them. My immediate family was fantastic and really supportive, but most of the world basically was telling me, you have to have a college degree to be successful. And if you don't have a college degree, you're basically throwing your life away. Um, So there was a lot of backlash, but I decided it was worth the risk to take on the challenge to say, you know what, like, let's, let's see what I can do. I obviously, you know, people thought I was crazy for homeschooling through high school too, and that turned out fine. So let's see if we can do that for the next step too. So did you have this fear like that you had to get over like a significant amount of that? Or have you just been naturally a person that is can take risk easier than the average Joe? Does that make sense? That does make sense. That's a really good question. Um, 
Honestly, I think I'm right in the middle. I think that in some things I have a really high risk tolerance. If anything, like I'm pretty adverse to boredom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would rather take the risk and, you know, take full agency in how I turn out in four years and just kind of explore and experience cool things and push myself to grow for four years rather than being bored in college classes. Um, but on the flip side, I don't, I'm not really like in, you know, I want to say adrenaline junkie and that's not quite right. Cause these aren't really adrenaline inspiring risks or adrenaline triggering rather. Um, but it's not necessarily like I love taking risks and take lots of them, which is why I say I fall somewhere in the middle. Um, but I definitely, I tend to choose risk over boredom. Does that answer your question? Yes, that answers it perfectly. So I highly doubt that you would, but if you could go back in time and change anything about your childhood or tell your younger self something that you know now to improve your childhood um, and leading all the way up to current day, what would you say or what would you do? What would you change? <laughs> <laughs> there are two things that I would do. Okay. Um, the first thing I would do would be tell myself to be more regular about journaling because it's something I've done off and on through my life, but there are very large gaps in time where I don't have a lot of records and I have to go through um, kind of indirect sources to remember what it was to be me at that point in my life. You know, I have to look back through old emails and photographs and things that like take me back, but they don't quite take me back to that headspace. And I've always underestimated how valuable it is to go back and see what it felt like and what I thought about as I was experiencing reality at each phase in life. There's a really great quote from Joan Didion. She says, um, to remember what it was to be me, that is the point. And basically her point in saying that was that's why we write and why we document is to remember like what it felt like to be experiencing the reality of being yourself at that phase in time. That's beautiful. So I would document more. Um, the other thing I would tell myself, honestly, is just like, don't stress out so much because, you know, keep pushing yourself, but do it from a place of curiosity rather than a place of pressure because it's going to turn out so much better than you thought it was going to. Um, and it's all going to work. Just enjoy the process rather than being stressed out about whether or not it will work. There have been so many times where it's been like, man, if I could just go back two years and tell myself like two years from now, all of these things are going to be in perfect alignment and it's all going to be great. Um I don't know if I even would have believed myself. So I think, I think honestly, that's probably one of the big things that I would go back and tell myself too. Um, maybe one more thing, honestly, is just read even more than I did. You know, I've always been a really copious reader, but another quote to throw at you, um, James Michener, the author, the novelist, um, he has a really great quote. He says, this is a slight paraphrase. No, I think this is accurate. Um, he said, read as many of the great books as you can by the age of 22. And I, I read a lot. I didn't read nearly as many as I would have liked to. Um, but being more consistent about reading like the really pivotal classical works from history and having them play a really pivotal role in changing the way that I think and look at the world, I think – I think I would tell myself to emphasize that even more than I did too. So while we're on the topic of books, uh, can you give us uh, an example of that, uh, of a book that you would recommend that's kind of aided in the growth of you? Oh my goodness. There are so many. I know. Um, <laughs> this super cliche example that always comes to mind first, just because it coincided so perfectly with my, you know, epiphany realization that, oh, wow, I can go and create the life that I want, um, is The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Um, I say cliche because I hear so many people answer this question with a similar response. But honestly, I feel like that's a book that is really important to read as someone in their, you know, probably late teens. Um, it just reminds you how much capacity you have to be set free mm -hmm. and how much capacity you have to build a life that you want to live. Um, I'm a really big fan of Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich has been a pretty pivotal one for me. Um, Man, this is always such a hard question to answer because immediately like 20 or 30 different books come to mind and I have to slowly sift through them and say, okay, what's the difference between a book that was just really good versus a book that really shaped the way in which, the way in which I think. Um, hmm. Can we come back to this question? I want to think about this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So 
one of your deepest running passions is the aiding and the development of others by coaching. And we touched on it briefly. How did you come to the conclusion that you should start coaching particularly? Ha! It was entirely by accident, which is so funny to me now. Um, so as I've already said, I grew up being very deeply interested in education and mostly it was just my own. Like I never, ever, ever intended to go into education as a profession. This was 100% an accident. Um, but I was very interested in kind of what was working for me personally and what wasn't and getting really good at educating myself. Um, and simultaneously, as we already talked about, I also loved to write and I also really liked to edit other people's writing. So throughout high school, I was running um, a couple different writing groups at different points in time. Uh, my senior year of high school, I was the editor of a homeschool literary magazine. So I got a lot of experience through that doing editing. Um, and so then after I graduated from high school, my first year out of high school, um, I started teaching writing classes to my old homeschool group. I put together a course and got people to sign up, you know, procured a space to run it in, put together like a six or eight week curriculum. Um, and I had a room full of, you know, elementary and middle and I think some early high school kids and just taught a creative writing course. And that was the moment where I really realized how much I loved to teach, mm -hmm. which was something that wasn't necessarily a surprise to me, but something that I'd never really looked straight in the face at before and said, oh, wow, I actually really like this. Wow. Um, so I taught that writing class and then I started doing some tutoring and one of the, um, one of the other, one of the moms whose kids were in that course, um, worked at an after school program locally and she hired me to come in and teach writing to students in their after school program. So I did a few different sessions teaching writing to like different grade levels. And as a side note, to kind of come back to your story about how you didn't like writing in school because it felt like work, um, this, was, this was kind of the moment that calcified for me or solidified, I guess, how, how lucky I was to have been homeschooled and how badly I disliked the traditional schooling system because I watched these kids kind of go through the process of learning to hate learning. Mm -hmm. um, what I mean by that is, you know, I had these different grade levels, right? So I had like first through third graders and I had fourth through sixth and then like middle school and high schoolers. Um, and the, the younger kids were so much fun to work with. They just had this unbridled curiosity and passion, just like learn. I'd say, hey, let's do a writing prompt and let's, you know, write about this topic. And they'd say, okay, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. And they just unleash their creativity and go wild. And they were so much fun to work with. And then the kids like fourth through sixth grade, they kind of, they were starting to lose that. They were still engaged, but they kind of sat there with their head in their hands. They kind of sighed a little bit when I said, okay, like, let's do this thing. And they were like, all right, I guess we will. Mm -hmm. um, it had lost its magic and it had lost its fun. Um, it was starting to become work because they were associating learning with being something that you're kind of obligated to do and someone else makes you do. Mm -hmm. um, and then the high schoolers, like I could barely get them to do anything. They hated, they hated anything that felt even remotely like school. They hated writing. Um, it was like pulling teeth to get them to do anything. And I thought I was doing a horrible job. Um, and the people who are running this, the after school program, they're like, no, the kids are actually doing something like you're doing fine. This is awesome. And I was like, but they're not, they're hardly writing. Like, how am I doing a good job? I don't understand. Um, but it was a really, really interesting experience. And it both solidified to me. It, it, there were a couple of different reasons why it was really pivotal. One, like I said, it helped me kind of realize, oh my goodness, I really love teaching. And it also made me realize, wow, I really want to work outside of the normal education system because this is terrible. Um, and so that kind of, you know, I was still doing some tutoring and stuff, some editing work as well as one-off projects. Um, and I just kind of sat on that knowledge for a while that I knew I liked to teach. And I became really interested in praxis, not in a coaching sense. 
Um, I was doing other work for Praxis and it slowly morphed into more and more of an education focused role and then a coaching role and all this work that I'd done both for myself in high school and then with the kids I coached after high school and the kids I was teaching to write, um, that all like morphed perfectly into doing coaching and advising for Praxis. Um, But it was all an accident. Like I didn't really intend to end up as a full-time coach and advisor. It just sort of happened. And then when it did happen, I looked back and I said, oh, wow, I just spent like six years prepping for this. I didn't even know that. How'd that happen? That's, it's crazy. Wow. (laughs) So I love that you touched on your kind of origin because I, as a practice participant, I completely relate to you on the, the negative effects of the school and currently it has it on children and students growing up and just it creates this um they're where they're forced to do it as opposed to wanting to do it themselves and i think i come from a very a different perspective and i just find it interesting because you saw it from the outside but me being a person that experienced that i went through the system and i slowly i'm a very introspective person and i slowly just i got sick of it i got really really tired of it and I thought, and now I thought in my head I was becoming lazy, and I find that really interesting because from the inside it just feels like, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because I don't want to do it, it feels like I'm just giving up, or and I'm not going to mount anything. Because when you're in the system, it really feels that way, and I just find it odd that how you, how a person from outside of it would see that. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely, it's it's a very unnatural education system, and I could go on, off on this forever, and I'm not going to. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's for, for most, for most kids, some kids naturally gravitate towards the, you know, formalized approach to education and it works very well for them. But for most kids, it's like, you know, you're trying to teach a fish to climb a tree. It just doesn't work. Um, it's unnatural. We have this natural unbridled curiosity that we're born with. And that if we maintain it, um, the sense of curiosity, the sense of play, it, drives you to create lots of really awesome things. Um, You see it in business owners all the time. They have this like true entrepreneurs have that really deep sense of curiosity and playfulness of like, oh, this is just, you know, it's very akin to sitting down as a kid with your toys and just like building an imaginary world. You just are so immersed in possibility. And you kind of lose that over time as you become more and more quote unquote practical and being super practical is actually super limiting because you're conforming yourself to things that already exist. You're not creating anything new. And if you maintain that sense of curiosity, that sense of play, that sense of hunger to learn, um, that's how you open up new frontiers and actually create new, meaningful, valuable things in the world. So it's a very unnatural system that kids go through and it leads you to very unnatural and very um, kind of limited options for results. They have to break outside of that system of thinking again to start to become mm-hmm. creative and actually be able to do cool things. So what? So a lot of my audience is people that are in high school, um, college as well. What would you, what would the advice be for those people that can't get out of that per se, especially for people in high school, it's harder to get out of that system. Um, it's not as much of a choice in some families. And I would even argue that same for college, but what would be some advice for them to make the most out of the situation they're currently in? That's such a great question. Um, I think it's very important for me to make very clear that even though I'm saying terrible things about the education system, it's definitely not a lost cause if you're stuck there. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, that means you're probably already intellectually curious and engaged. And that's like the biggest and most important thing. Um, There are a couple of things that I would actually, there's probably a handful of pieces of pieces of advice that I would give. Um, The biggest one is just consume content that is not required by school. Um, Podcast episodes, articles, blog posts, cool Twitter accounts where people are sharing interesting ideas. Um, reading books, listening to lectures on YouTube, whatever it is that is the easiest way for you to consume content, that's fine. But keep engaging with ideas that are interesting and relevant to you. 
Um, make it a habit to both be consuming ideas and to be following the things that's that you're curious about. Um, treat your curiosity like it's intuition because it is. You're you have a tendency to be curious about the things that are most valuable to you. So pursue those things. Um, if you're curious about, um, I don't know, the growth of industrial era cities in the American Midwest, um, that's a super random niche thing to be interested in. And it could feel super irrelevant in the life that you feel like you're living and trying to build. But there's probably a reason why you're curious about it. Um, maybe you're interested in the, you know, how, how different industries rise and fall or what, like why cities are the way that they are and how, which will then be an indicator of how you can predict how modern and future cities will grow and fall. Um, maybe you're interested in how business ownership has changed over time. Um, all of those kind of core underlying reasons why you're interested in something that feels super niche can actually be really directly applicable to the types of things that you want to do in your life. You don't have to know why you're curious about something. Um, just trust that there's probably a really good reason why you're curious about something and go pursue it. So that's my first piece of advice. Um, consume lots of content and get in the habit of being really, really curious. Um, second piece of advice is to build out, like document a paper trail or a digital footprint really of all of the cool things that you're learning and the cool things that you're doing. Um, this is one of the most pivotal parts of the Proxis program. And it's one of the most key important things that we teach people to do. Um, we live in an, a digital world. We live in a world that is run by the internet. And if something doesn't exist on the internet, it just like doesn't exist, period. Um, if you don't document it, if you don't share it somewhere, to the external observer, it's as good as if it didn't happen. And this is really important when you're trying to build opportunities for yourself. Um, you don't even have to know what those opportunities are yet. Sometimes just the process of documenting cool things helps you bring clarity to what's interesting to you and what isn't and why. Um, sometimes, you know, you might have something happen like what happened to me where I was like teaching writing for a couple of years and then I realized it was coaching practice and I didn't even know it. Um, so... Yeah, get in the habit of documenting what you're doing, um, building out a portfolio of all of the cool stuff that you are doing, that you can do, that you have done. Um, start a blog, start writing. Uh, when you're working on a cool project, share it online somewhere. Start to build up that digital footprint. Um, third piece of advice, get real world experience. Um, get a job if you don't already have one. Get get experience doing some kind of portfolio project or some kind of, um, you know, freelance work for someone. Um, learn how to do run Facebook ads and go run Facebook ads for a couple local businesses, you know, whatever it is, just starting to get that real world relevant experience. That's the most valuable thing in terms of proving to yourself that you have the ability to go out in the world and create really cool things. And the most important thing in proving to others when you're looking to do work for them in the future that you have a track record of being able to do that. Um, you know, that's, that's a lot of what Praxis is about too. It's about saying, okay, you know you have the potential to create value in the working world, but let's prove that you do. Let's m create irrefutable evidence that you will be valuable when someone hires you because um, creating value for other people becomes the leverage by which you move yourself into the positions that you want to be existing in in life. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes absolute sense. Thank you. Okay, because I, I want to... I want to expand on it, several of the topics that we're discussing, including that one. Um, I'm going to try to make this more fun for you. Uh, kind of challenging. So I'm going to throw some words slash topics at you. And I want you just to speak on whatever comes to mind when thinking about that word slash topic. 
Okay. And it can be a three-minute answer. It can be however long. Just speak on what it is, and maybe we can uh, piggyback off each other and get a conversation rolling. So the first word or topic is compulsory education laws. (laughs) That's all I get, just compulsory education laws. You really want me to riff on that? Okay, (laughs) let's do that. Um, (laughs) Wow. Um, You just opened a can of worms. Um, Unnatural and unnecessary, honestly, um, do a lot of harm and little good. Uh, That's a very polarizing statement. Um, There's a lot of nuance nuance to what I just said that I probably don't agree with. Um, But in general, in principle, I'm not a big fan. Um, You know, like I said, I think that most of the education system is unnatural. It's preparing people for a very specific type of life and a very specific type of um, professional career and trajectory that, frankly, is very outdated. Um, it's it's an we we we're going through an industrial school system to prepare ourselves for a digital world. It doesn't make sense. They're two very different things. And most of the things that we're learning aren't relevant nor transferable. Do I think that every child should get an education? 100%. Your education is your greatest asset. How much you know is really, really important. Um, But I think that most of the ways that we go about obtaining those educations are – very counterproductive. They teach us to hate learning rather than love learning. Mm-hmm. Um, they turn information into a chore rather than mm-hmm. a playful, creative process. Right. So something that I completely disagree with and why I have a dislike for them as well is they that it's allowing a another human, another individual that is, is I think would be and all of the things considered equal um, – decides what you should learn and when you should learn it and how you should learn it. And I, I have a really big problem with that because as a human, I feel like it's your right to be able to learn on your own terms. Does that make sense? That 100% makes sense. And I agree completely. It's not only just your right, but it's far more beneficial to you mm-hmm. if you are learning mm-hmm. on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, you know, your you're curious um, about things for a reason and every the things that every person is curious about is as unique as the person itself. And it makes no practical sense really for the individual. It makes practical sense for the system, which is why it is the way it is, but it doesn't make practical sense for the individual to be, you know, following this very systemic approach to exploring curiosity. So, so I know that you touched on it briefly when you were talking about your education growing up and that you had a curriculum that you had to adhere to and that, you know, ever so often you had to like make sure that that was a part of it. Did that hinder you at all? Do you think so? A little bit. Um, Personal anecdote on that. I hate math and I don't think I naturally hate math. I hate math because I had to do math and it was like the one obligatory thing that I had to do mm-hmm. all throughout school. Um, I loved learning everything except math. I hated math worksheets um, with a passion and I still feel a strong aversion to math that I'm slowly working towards eradicating because math is a useful tool and it's a very logical framework within which to think of non-mathematical things too. Um, like breaking things down into functions and equations. I actually really like thinking that way. Um, But I hate math because I had to learn math. Um, So I think it did did hinder me some. I think that because I had so much agency in my process and because I was naturally academically inclined and the structure already worked for me, I think that for the most part, for me personally, it wasn't a huge detriment. But I think I'm the exception to the rule in that. I think I just happened to... Okay. Yeah. Really like academic systems. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I would have preferred to not have all the constraints that I did, even though they were relatively minimal in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to go to the next one. I'm, 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 I'm contemplating opening up this can of worms if, but anyways, um, <laughs> existentialism, 
do you have much to say on that word? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is like a big pivot. I feel like we barely opened the last can of worms and now we're like really going down the rabbit hole. This is fun. <laughs> um, wow. Give me, give me just a second to think about how I want to formulate this answer. Um, I mean, I'm an individualist. So in general, I find this philosophical rabbit trail to be very interesting. Um, you know, I think I think it's pretty obvious from hearing me talk for the last like 40, 45 minutes that I I value very highly the agency of an individual and the freedom and the liberty of each individual. And my work focuses around, you know, making and enhancing another person's individuality to the extent that I make myself and my work entirely irrelevant. Um, that's basically my coaching philosophy. So <laughs> in general, I think that you know, I'm, I am. I love. I love going down this rabbit trail. There are two. There are kind of two different ways in which I approach philosophy. Um, one is in terms of just, you know, actually formulating my own philosophical beliefs, um, and the other, the other mode is, or if the other purpose rather is to just explore ideas for the sake of like the, the mental calisthenics. Um, so I like, I like existentialism in both capacities. Um, does that answer your question or is that too vague? I think that is good. I, I, I would <laughs> like, I, I, I want to dig on whatever you, I want to dig deeper, but I know that the further we go in, the harder it's going to get out of it, the harder to get out of it. So yeah. it's going to have to do, <laughs> but, um, cause I have like two more words I really want to throw at you and I know we're okay. running out of time, but um, next one is credential. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> next word. <laughs> um, no, I'll expand on that just a little bit more. Okay. Um, credentials are a proxy. That's all that they are. They're a stand-in for something else. Um, an employer doesn't actually care about your credentials. They care about your ability to create specific types of results, namely value for the company. Um and a credential is just a, a simplified and systematized mode of measuring that. Um, usually it's actually pretty ineffective because a credential does not equal ability to create value. Um, I think, you know, we say at Praxis a lot, you are your own credential. And that's really, you know, pretty much my philosophy on it too. Um, but, you know, credential, it's kind of like a cultural metaphor almost in that it's like this universal thing that you can use as a stand-in to uh, a stand-in to kind of represent something else. Um, but I think it's a very limited mindset and I think it's really important, you know, you're not married to the concept of credentials nor are you limited by them. Um, it's a tool for communication. And I think it's really important to understand why people talk in terms of credentials and how else you can communicate instead um, to get the same results. Love it. So I want the last one is very closely related and that is breaking the mold. That's kind of uh, the theme of this episode um, for the audience. But um, how, what is the best advice you would give to, for any individual that is, um, dissatisfied with the current state that they're in in terms of the the opportunities they have and how can they truly break the molds and get away from I guess the norms that they are conditioned to wow that's very hard mm -hmm. to simplify because mm -hmm. it's a little different for every single individual and I think that's the most important thing to realize um you know embracing the things that make you who you are and that make you interested in the things you are interested in, um, that's breaking the mold. Um, 
advice for people who aren't happy with where they're at and what they want to do. Um, the biggest thing is don't feel a ton of pressure to figure out the perfect thing. I didn't. I'm basically working what at this point in my life is my dream job. In the future, I will have other dream jobs that I will want to be working. But right now, there's nowhere else I would rather be. And I ended up here because I pursued the smaller things that interested me. And I had no real sense of like bigger picture. I knew for a long time before I worked at Praxis that I wanted to work at Praxis. But I didn't know in what capacity. I didn't know what that looked like. Um, but I positioned myself so that when they were ready to hire someone, I was in a great position to jump on that opportunity and make it known that I was a great person to work with, um, and a great fit for their team. But I, I didn't, you know, know exactly how things would pan out. And I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself to know. I treated it more as an experiment. And I think that's really important because, you know, you don't know at 18 what you're going to be like at 22, let alone what you're going to want to be doing. At 22, you don't know what you're going to want to be doing at 28 or even what types of jobs are going to exist because that's always changing too. Um, So I'd say, you know, we already talked about the importance of documenting your work online, the importance of pursuing the things that are interesting to you, the importance of like getting experience, really just get a job. Um, You know, it doesn't matter where you're working or what you're doing, but work somewhere and start to build up that professional reputation and that professional experience. And then just pursue the things that are interesting to you worry far less about what other people say you should do and far more about what is legitimately interesting and exciting to you and constantly push and challenge yourself to get better, but also trust the process and be patient and give it time and don't expect to have all of the answers because you don't need them. I love it. So I'm going to throw this question back out there to you. If you don't have one, that's fine. But what is one book you would recommend to the audience? Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So (laughs) tell me if this is an okay answer, (laughs) Um, because I'm not directly answering your question, but honestly, and this is not a plug because I work at Praxis. This is legitimately like, this was the most important thing in my own professional development process. Read the Praxis blog. Um, I'm not kidding. When I, I followed Praxis for like a year and a half before I even made contact with them. And then it was another like six months before I started working for them. And in that time, the Praxis blog was my favorite resource because, you know, Praxis shares so much information on how to build a career, how to build a life as a young person that you legitimately want to live, how to obtain agency. And it has so many links and resources to other resources out on the internet that are also valuable. And the Praxis blog is one of the biggest reasons why why I am where I am today. It's basically six years of super regular long-form blog posts being published all of the time, and each one is valuable in its own right. Um, so honestly, that's that's my top recommendation. Is that fair or is that does that sound like a plug? I promise it's not. No, no I, I love it. I mean, I would say the same thing. So... <laughs> um that well that's great so how can the audience find out more about you um and what you do if they wish how can they get in contact with you great question um so i have a website hannahfrankman.com super easy to find me that's the kind of the hub where i document the things that i'm working on um things i'm thinking about things i'm reading things i'm doing so that's kind of the best place to get an overview of where i'm at um best place to kind of like keep a pulse on what I'm thinking and what I'm working on is Twitter. Um, my handle is just at Hannah Frankman. Um, and that's probably the place where I best document the things that I'm working on in real time. I'm a really big fan of Twitter. So that's probably my top recommendation for where to find me. Um, Instagram's also a great place to find me again, just at Hannah Frankman. Um, I, don't post a ton, a ton, but I update stories pretty regularly and you can always DM me there. Um, so yeah, for reaching out, if you have any follow-up questions to this, Instagram or Twitter DMs are probably the best place to drop them. All right. Uh, thank you really for your time and sharing your story with us. You are definitely an inspiration and I can't wait to follow you as you continue your journey. And I look forward to working with you in the future. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. You ask good questions. I like this. 
Thrivers. I just want to say thanks again for listening to another episode. If you gain value from this episode, I ask that you rate and review on whatever medium you're currently listening to this podcast on. If you have questions or concerns or just want to dive deeper into this conversation, feel free to leave a comment on my website. And if you haven't checked out the website yet, I ask that you do that. Check out the blog. I blog daily on there and I document what I'm learning as I'm going through the Praxis experience and really everything that I'm learning as I go through life on my entrepreneurial journey. So if you're looking for advice, encouragement, um, whatever it may be, you're sure to find something that will tickle your fancy on my blog. Sorry for saying that. That was weird. Regardless, I digress. If you are curious and checking out more of Hannah Frankman um, and learning more about what she does at Praxis, check out the Praxis blog one and check out her website. Contact her. I left everything in the show notes, including the Praxis blog and everything that she mentioned, including her contacts in the show notes. So check it out. Um, With that said, I am also posting blog posts on Medium now. So if you are a fan of Medium and you already subscribed to Medium, you can check out my blog post content there where I also post daily. You can subscribe to the Thriving United publication. With that said, guys, I can encourage you to just get out there and work. Work for you, not for anyone else. Document your work and show your value to other people. Break the mold. With that said, keep grinding, keep growing, let's thrive.